I don't think it's a stretch to say I'm positive that everybody here wants to be a good person, right? We all want to be good people. We want others to think of us as good people. Uh, we want to be good people when we go to work. We want to be good people at school. We want to be good people when we're out in the community. We want to set a good example. We want, if we're parents... To be a good person in interacting with our children, we want our children to grow up themselves to be good people. If we're grandparents, you want to be good people and set good examples for your grandchildren and your children, and you want your grandchildren to grow up to be good people. We all desire to be good people. In fact, one of the worst things somebody could say to us is something like, You're a horrible human being. You're a bad person. That would cut us to the core, wouldn't it? We want to be good people, which makes us wonder, or it should make us wonder, what does that mean? What is good? How do you define good behavior? Who defines good behavior versus bad behavior? Who gets to decide what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's moral or what's immoral, who gets to determine that? And really, isn't that the question that people have been asking ever since time began? Don't we wonder what is good, what is bad, what is moral, what is immoral? When I was thinking about the people in the world, and they say all the time things like, well, you really shouldn't judge. You really shouldn't determine what's good or bad. Everybody should just decide for themselves what's good or bad. But isn't that interesting? Even in making the statement, you should just let everybody decide what's good and bad, they're telling you what you should do. In saying you shouldn't judge right and wrong, then they're telling you what you shouldn't do. On what basis is anybody saying you should do this or you shouldn't do that? On what basis does anybody say this is a good behavior or that is a bad behavior? This is a moral thing to do, an upright thing to do. This is an evil thing to do or an immoral thing to do. Really, there's only two options of who gets to decide that. Either it's God or it's man. Either God gets to be the one who says, this is good, that is bad. This is right, that is wrong. This is moral, that is immoral. Or man, we, mankind, decides for ourselves that we will seize control of the knowledge of good and evil. That we will determine for ourselves what's right and what's wrong, what's moral and what's Immoral. Isn't that the way that the story of sin and righteousness is told in Scripture? We're told that in the very beginning, the first two human beings decided rather than live the life in paradise of the Garden of Eden, instead of listening to what God says, this is right, And eating of this tree is wrong. All of these trees are good, but don't eat of that tree. They decided God must be holding something back from us. That there's something good that that we can't have. God won't let us have it. God doesn't have our best interest at heart. And so they seized 
control of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, I want to be the one to define what's good and bad, right and wrong, moral or immoral. And, and, and we see where that leads, don't we? It always leads to death. When we allow God to determine what's right and wrong, good and bad, well, then there is life. But when we say, no, I want to be the one to determine what's good and bad, right and wrong, moral or immoral, well, then there is death. There is life when we let God dictate right and wrong, and there is death when we dictate what's right and wrong. What's the next story we see? after Adam and Eve eat that fruit in the garden. The next thing we see is their children killing one another, right? Because Cain offered a sacrifice to God that wasn't by faith. And because it wasn't accepted, he was jealous and he murdered his brother. And then we see that all of humanity goes down into this path, determining for themselves what is right and wrong. Doing what is right in their own eyes. And we see all of the violence and all of the bloodshed and all of the murder because that's what happens when we decide I get to dictate what's right and wrong, then death is always the result. And that's what we see in Genesis. But God doesn't leave humanity like that by themselves without helping them. He says to Abraham, you, I'm going to pick you. And I'm going to pick your descendants. I'm going to choose you. Of all the families of the world, by my grace, I'm going to choose you. And I'm going to make you my special covenant people. And then in the book of Exodus, we see how that that family grows into a, a big nation, but they're slaves in Egypt, and God brings them out. He delivers them, doesn't he? And he brings them right to the edge of another paradise. A second chance to live in paradise with God. And again, we're given the choice, or God's covenant people are given the choice of life. Do what God says is right. Don't do what God says is wrong. Allow Him to dictate morality. Or do what's right in your own eyes and die. Suffer the consequences of your behavior, your rebellion. And so when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, that's what it's all about. It's a reminder of the law right before Israel goes into the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the paradise. And Moses is reminding them, listen to God and you will live. Disobey God, you will die. I set before you life and death. Choose life so that you can live. And so that brings us to the question of our series this month, is our home. What's going on in your home? Who dictates what's right and what's wrong in your home? Who dictates morality in your home? Who dictates what's good and bad, right and wrong, moral or immoral in your home? Again, the world is always pressuring us to accept their version of what's right and wrong. We ourselves constantly have a tendency to justify our own behavior and say, well, I don't know that it was really all that bad, right? I mean, in a certain way, I guess it was kind of good that I did that. Given my unique circumstance, it was kind of good that I did that. Or it was sort of right that I did that. 
we have a tendency to justify all day long and call what God says is wrong. We have a tendency to say that's right. And what God says that's bad, we have a tendency to say, no, no, no. In my situation, that was actually good. The world, ourselves, our own hearts, our own minds, the people around us, the people in our community are constantly asking us to eat of the fruit, aren't they? To follow their way, to allow mankind to dictate for us and for our household what is right and wrong. Or will we be the kind of covenant people that God is calling us to be under this new and better covenant where God is calling us to allow Him to be our Lord? To allow Him to be the one to say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is what's good. This is what's evil. This is what is bad, and this is what is righteous. Okay, so let's look at our text this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses reminding God's people, this is what it is to be God's covenant people. And you have a choice whether or not you will obey the Lord as you go into the land of Canaan. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You remember going back all the way to verse 4 a few weeks ago? We talked about that's the, the foundation of everything. Hear, or the Hebrew word, shema, listen Listen, Israel, really, really, truly listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we ask ourselves, who is the Lord of your home? Who is in charge in your home? Who is God in your home? Who is king in your home? Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is the Lord, is the triune God of heaven, the Lord in your home. And then the Lord says, or Moses rather says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, your being, and all of your might or your strength. So we asked ourselves last week, what is the love of your home? What is the love of your home? That love that supersedes everything else, that supersedes all other loves. What's the love of your home? Is the Lord the love of your home? Is He the Lord of your home? Is He the love of your home? And this morning we ask ourselves, what is the law in your home? Because what God expected of His first covenant people, the people of Abraham, He also expects of His new covenant people, the disciples, the followers of Jesus that we be a people who have the law that He has commanded us or the commandments that He has given us, that we have them on our hearts. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? This new covenant people would be a people who have God's law on their hearts. What does that mean? 
I think it means a lot of things. I think, one, it means that we are the kind of people that think about and meditate upon, maybe even memorize God's precepts, God's commandments. You see, the idea of a heart, when we think of the heart, we think of just the emotional side of things. But as we talked about last week, for the Hebrew, the heart is everything internally. It is your thoughts. It is your emotions. It is your wants. It is your desires. And God says, I want my covenant people to make my commandments. What I say is right. What I say is wrong. I want them to make that a part of their heart. Write it on their thinking. Write it on their feeling. Write it on their emotion. Write it on their desires. Why? So that you do it. So that you do what God says to do. So that you live out God's commandments. Why? Because you know who He is. And because you love Him. Right? Because you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your might, you've had these commandments written on your heart and you do what the Lord would have you to do because you want to do them. Not like, not like somebody that's looking for loopholes and saying, well, what all can I get away with? Can, can I get away with that? And how far can I go? And if I go this far, am, am I, am I okay? Or is that too far? Or how far? I know God doesn't like us doing these kind of things, but can I do it a little bit? That's not the kind of person that has God's commandments written on their heart. Because the more you think about and meditate upon and, yes, memorize God's commandments, you realize that The law of God is more of a blessing than it is a burden. The law of God, even in the Old Testament, was more of a blessing than it was a burden. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119. Look at how the psalmist feels about the law of God. And what a blessing it is to keep God's commandments. That was true under the first covenant and the commandments that God gave to ancient Israel as they lived in the land of Canaan, and it's true of us that would be God's new covenant people and follow Jesus coming out of the the exodus of sin and slavery and into his promised kingdom, into the kingdom of Jesus, that if we will just listen to Jesus and do what he tells us to do, think about it, meditate upon it, memorize it, then we'll find that His commandments are more of a blessing than they are a burden. That things go well for us when we do what is right in the sight of God. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verses 17 through 19. I will skip down to this part real quickly as we think through this. Verse 17, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. It isn't just an intellectual exercise, is it? It's not just a matter of memorize all this so you're really good at Bible trivia, right? So you're really good when somebody gives you a question about the Bible. God says, listen, I'm telling you how to live. Telling you what's right and what's wrong. I'm telling you what's moral and what's immoral. I'm telling you what's good and what's bad. Write it on your heart. Why? So that you do it. 
so that you live it out. So you live this way, diligently keeping the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He's commanded you. Now look at verse 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Look again at that phrase in verse 18. Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Again, that's what it all comes down to. Because as we talked about this morning in our Bible classes, we started to get into Joshua and Judges. Do you remember what goes wrong for the people of Israel? They, they go into the land of Canaan, the promised land. For a generation, things start going pretty well. But after that, they don't keep the law. They do what is right, the writer of Judges says, they do what is right in their own sight rather than doing what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. That's what God is calling His people to do, is to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not seize control of what is right and wrong, good and bad, moral and immoral, but allow God to be king. Allow God to dictate what is right and wrong, what is good and bad what is moral or immoral, to do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Now let me say something real quick. I, I think that there may be two extremes that we have to be careful of here. One would be the, the extreme, and I may not even like that word, but the idea of perfectionism. The idea that unless we're perfect, well then we're not God's people anymore. That wasn't the idea as they went into the land of Israel to be God's people. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. The idea wasn't if we're not absolutely perfect in every single way and we cross every T and dot every I, then we're not God's people anymore. Built into the covenant, built into the law was the idea of atonement and forgiveness and mercy. Had they just cared about what God said, they would have known that God had a way for them to be forgiven, which of course was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice of atoning blood that covers over sins. So we need to understand that that idea that, that you have to do every little thing, and if you don't do every little thing exactly right, well then you're not God's people anymore. That idea of perfectionism isn't exactly what God is talking about here. But another extreme might be the idea of fatalism. To say, well, it's all fated anyway. I, I, I'm going to mess up anyway. It doesn't really matter how I act or how I live. We're all just messed up and broken. So it really doesn't matter how I live. So there's no use really even trying to be obedient. Well, that's not true either, right? We look at the new covenant. We see this all throughout. That yes, how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith, Right? But, but just because we're saved by grace doesn't mean that we say, I'll go on sinning so the grace may abound. It's not to teach us that, that you have to sin. That in any given situation, you're bound to sin and, and you really don't have any hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that there's not a single circumstance where you're tempted beyond what you can bear. Every time you're tempted, there's a way of escape. There's a way to do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. 
So John says in 1 John, he says, listen, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. So that you do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. But if any of you does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So somebody might be saying, you know, Wes, you tie all of this about obedience, doing what God commands. I mean, basically, isn't what Jesus said, just love God and love people? Isn't that what it all comes down to? Just love God and love people. Well, that's true. I mean, Jesus absolutely said that's the law and the prophets, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But here again, we have to be careful that you don't define and that I don't define what it looks like to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was saying was, all of the law and the prophets, everything that God said to His first covenant people, the people of Abraham, is that this is what it looks like to love God and to love your neighbor. That the law is what it looks like in Israel to love God and love your neighbor. And when we look at the New Testament and we listen to the words of Jesus, our Savior, we listen to the words of Jesus, our King, and we listen to His appointed apostles who wrote down the letters for us to understand this is what it looks like for followers of Jesus to love God and to love others. Yes, it all comes down to love God and love others, but that's not what you get to define, what it looks like to love God and love your neighbor. Read the New Testament, and then you'll know what it looks like to love God and love your neighbor. A good place to start that would be the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to put in a plug for this evening's lesson. On Sunday nights during the summer, we're going to have what we're calling Conversations on the Mount, where various brothers are going to come and have a conversation. And the two of us tonight, tonight it'll be Jeff Jenkins from over at Louisville, and we're going to come and sit down and talk about the Beatitudes. Because I want us to understand that this sermon, and all of the New Testament really, is Jesus saying to his followers, this is what it looks like to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Because it's easy, again, to justify what we're doing. And we say, you know what? I may not be really doing everything I should be, but I think I love God and love my neighbor. I think I'm doing a pretty good job of loving God and loving my neighbor. Are you? Am I? Look at the things that Jesus said. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. Write it on your heart. Memorize it. Think about it. Talk about it. He says things like this, that His people are to be peacemakers who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People that don't hold grudges. People that don't lust. In fact, Jesus says it would be better to tear your eye out if it causes you to lust. People that don't leave their spouse for somebody else. People that don't break their promises. People that don't retaliate. People who love their enemies. We read through Scripture and God tells us over and over again, This is what I expect of my covenant people. This is how I want you to live. This is what it looks like to love me. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. But then we're confronted with the brutal reality that we are guilty, aren't we? That we haven't loved God 
with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. that we have truly eaten from the fruit of that tree, haven't we? We have said, I want to define what is right, what is wrong. I want to be the one to define good and bad, moral and immoral. And we have justified our rebellion and we have called what God calls wrong, we've called right. And we have indulged in sinfulness and we've been in rebellion And so our only hope is to acknowledge our guilt and to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and accept and receive His grace. And after we've received His grace, our job is to stand back up in newness of life and live out a life of gratitude. Not a life that says, okay, now I think if I cross all my T's and dot out my I's, I'll do it perfectly and I'll earn my way to heaven. No! but a people that say, because I love Jesus, because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, because I tremble before Him, because I know who He is and who He has called me to be, I will do everything within my power to do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. No more for me or my household will I allow mankind to define what's right and wrong. No more will I allow mankind to define what's good and what's evil, what's moral or what's immoral. I will devote myself to writing God's will on my heart, to surrendering my whole self as a living sacrifice to God that through constant practice, Romans chapter 12, I will know the will of God. That's the kind of individuals that we've got to be. That's the kind of community we've got to be. That's the kind of households we've got to be creating. Households where we say, in this house, God's law is our law. In this house, what is good and right in the sight of the Lord is good and right in our sight. Even if our neighbors don't understand it, even if our community doesn't understand it, even if sometimes I don't like it, even if sometimes that's not what I want to do, I'm going to do to the best of my ability what's good and right in the sight of the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that isn't yet a part of the covenant people of God. You might be thinking, well, but I've blown it so big time. I've done so many things. I've said so many things. You just don't know. Listen, you don't want to see the list of the things all of us have done. We know we are guilty. We look at God's standard of living, God's standard of morality, and every person here knows we have fallen short, and we know that it is not by our merits that we become children of God, but by His grace and mercy and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. This family is a family that's made up of people that have messed up. And if you've messed up and you want to be forgiven and you want to commit your life to letting God's standard be your new standard, then we want to invite you to make that choice to be buried with Jesus in baptism. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We are in this together and we need each other. If we are going to be a people who live by the standard of God's word and not by our own standards, then we have to build each other up and encourage each other 
and pray for each other. So if we can pray for you, there's a room in the back after services. The elders would love to meet with you or you can come forward as together we stand and sing.